Okay, we've got a lot to get to. Actually, we're going to have a brief, brief time together. You're like, oh, yeah, right. Uh, but before it takes me like 30 conversations, I need to explain the scratch on my forehead <laughs> because I'm tired of talking about it. It wasn't in Mexico. So 4 a.m. this morning, (laughs) one of our cats decided to use my head as a launching post to get to the window. So, and all the dog people said, (laughs) so yeah, that's what happened. All right. So yeah. All right. Luke chapter five. If you have a Bible, there's three of you that do. Other than that, it's on the screen. Um, Luke chapter 5. I'll start reading a few verses. Yet the news about him spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Luke 6. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. Luke 9. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say I am? A little further in in verse 28. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter and John, James with him, and went up onto the mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Skip down to verse 34. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. And then Luke chapter 11, verse 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. So I want us to notice something here. Notice that for Jesus of Nazareth, prayer was the center point of his life with God. It was the the focal point of his life with God. And And here's the thing that's, Interesting, if you study the Gospels, you'll see that it was woven into Jesus' life. It was just who he was, daily, weekly, schedule, even when it looked like he was seemingly really busy and that people were really wanting to be with him. So for Jesus, at times, prayer was actually more important than sleep. And if I'm reading the story of Jesus correctly... It didn't seem like it was a drag for Jesus. It didn't seem like it was like a a checking off of the list to pray. It seemed like it was actually something that he actually enjoyed the Father's company when he prayed. And in some cases, like we just read, it actually looked like the encounters he had with God actually transformed him. Now, for most of us, when it comes to prayer, this isn't our experience. And if I was to take a poll this morning, okay, who's really killing it with prayer? 
you know. Um, I think that I think that for some of us it would be like, you know, I've always struggled with it. Like I've I think that there's just been times in my life that I've I've tasted it, I've tasted when it's good, but there's I, there's something I really struggle with. And for some of us, we just don't feel like we're really really in, a, in the flow of prayer. Like we really have that discipline down. And if we're honest, I think sometimes we feel distracted. Sometimes we feel bored. Sometimes we feel um, like maybe it's an obligation thing. We feel kind of a guilt trip thing when it comes to prayer. For me personally, um, my, my mind starts to wander like a lot. And I don't know about you, but like I, like I sit down to pray or I, I just spent, like pull myself away to pray and, and then I start to think about all the things going on in my life and all the things that need to be done and that I got to talk to this person and call that person and whatever. And there's a difficult, it's difficult. Like, and, and we work hard and, and we're tired. Like for instance, last summer, this is just me, okay? Last summer, Reuben and Sarah got married. July 3rd, right? Yeah, July 3rd. And they had this really cool moment in their wedding where family gathered around them and, and they're praying. It's just this moment, right? They just got married. It's this beautiful moment inviting family and friends in and praying to God. And here's a picture of it right here. Isn't it beautiful? And off to the top right corner <laughs> is me. Like, distracted by a post. <laughs> so, <laughs> and the funniest thing about this story is they're watching their vid- wedding video, like, what, two months ago? And they just start texting me, howling, laughing. Like, what is your deal? But I think it's actually 2019, like our present moment, with all the things that we have at our fingertips, with all the inertia of culture and our lives and our work and our frenzied existence and technology, I think it's like the hardest moment in the history of the world to pray. Actually, I think it's like a really difficult time to craft this discipline in our lives. And I would say that, like, digital distraction, just digital distraction alone, the phone that you bought that is probably in your pocket right now or in your hand, you bought it, but it's working for somebody else. You bought the phone, but it's actually working for somebody else. It's actually, uh, economists call it the attention economy. It's actually designed to take your attention. And remember, we talked about this a number of months ago. Remember boredom? Remember that? That thing where like, you're in line at the grocery store or you're at the DMV and you ha- literally had nothing to do? And it was those moments, I think those moments were actually possible moments to pull us into moments with God that actually there was a chance in those moments where we were just bored (laughs) 
where we could actually have a conversation again with God. And instead of these moments being potential portals to life with God, we reach for our cyborg appendage. Right? And the more wealth it seems like we have, the more money we have, I mean, it's, it's like one of those things. Why pray when you have a good job and health insurance? Why, why, I mean, the more activity we have comes from the more wealth we have. There seems like there's no time to pray. And then there's that little peculiar thing called secularism. In this world we live in, this secular age, this digital secular age that has, is just rampant with kind of an atheistic thought or even agnostic thought life where it kind of pulls at us. I mean, we all battle our inner cynic when it comes to prayer. And our inner cynic is saying things like, am I just reading a shopping list to the sky? Am I, are things actually going to happen uh, or not happen anyway? Like, is God just going to do what God's going to do? And, and I'm saying this because I think for most of us, prayer is a weak point in our apprenticeship to Jesus. It's that part that's harder to cultivate, harder to lean into. And I think it's even really hard in 2019. And so we're just kind of opening up the conversation about prayer. Because we're going to be talking about the Lord's Prayer all the way through uh, June and July. And, And I think that we really have to figure this out. Because for Jesus, it seemed like it was the most important thing on the agenda. This cultivated relationship with Father God. Prayer is talking with God. Even better, prayer is life with God. Paul Miller puts it this way. Prayer is simply the medium through which we experience and connect with God. And prayer is a practice, yes, But it's a practice with a means to an end, like all practices, okay? So the end is a relationship with God, a growing, uh, expanding relationship with God. Um, This last week, we got a lot of time together as a family of four, and uh, I I counted the meals. I think we, we ate 21 meals together this last week. And just over meals, talking and having conversation. I mean, we're hopeful to get a few meals together during the week. But to have like a full week of meals together as a family was just a a gift. To have this relationship and conversation and connect with each other. And the end goal with prayer is to connect with God. To have a relationship with God. And we have to figure this out. We have to figure this out as a community. We have to figure this out as a community that lives in Denver in 2019. And the best teacher that I can think of is Jesus of Nazareth. And it's no surprise that his disciples actually asked him, Lord, teach us how to pray. Teach us to pray. Teach us how to do this. In all four Gospels... There's never a question like this for Jesus. No one ever asked Jesus how to give a sermon. No one ever asked Jesus how to heal the sick or how to, how to cast out demons. But they asked Jesus how to pray. 
They asked Jesus how to do this. And my guess is, is they started to catch on that everything that Jesus did was rooted in his life with the Father, rooted in his life of prayer. It says this in chapter 11 of Luke, verse 2. He said to them, when you pray, say this. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. So I'm going to say a little brief thing on the first half of this prayer as we get into more specifics in the weeks to come. First half of this prayer, this prayer is a framework. And notice that Jesus is not asking God for needs and wants until halfway through. Uh, but most of us start halfway through. And it's like it feels like a Christmas list. But Jesus kind of starts off with this idea of reformatting and re uh, uh, attuning his life to the fact that God is your father. That God is your father. Jesus thought of God as father, and he wants you and I to think of God as father. Now, the hard part is the fact that some of us have a difficult view of father in our experience in life. A uh, good relationship. I mean, I'm blessed to have a good relationship with my father, my dad. But how do you pray to God as father when some of you in the room are going, yeah, I never knew my father. Or my father worked all the time, or my father drank all the time, or my father abused me, or my father this or that. And, and, and here's the thing, I get that. When you have an experience with your own father that's not great or perfect, there's this journey of emotional and spiritual healing that you have to go through to be able to call God Father. And it's a very difficult journey. But it's a journey worth taking. And it's a journey worth taking in community together. It's a very excruciating journey. But what comes into our minds, I, when you think about God, will make or break your prayer life. Okay, When you think about God, uh, that'll change everything. John Tyson, who's a pastor and author in New York City says this, unless you break the stronghold of false images of God in your mind, you'll never be drawn to prayer. The angels have been locked in a room with God for thousands of years and they still haven't gotten past the word holy, 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 holy. If you're bored with God, you may be the person who is boring. Or it could be that you're just distracted by trivia in our culture. When you break through that boredom, you'll be drawn to the glory of, of who God really is. So if you think of God like a grumpy old man who's kind of ready to snap at you, or a CEO of the universe who doesn't have time for you, or maybe you think of God as an energy force, not a person, but if you think of God as your father, it's a whole different story. That's a whole different draw for you to, to have a relationship with God. Now, when I, our kids were little, um, some of you were experiencing this as young parents, but when your kids are little, 
um, and you come home from a day of work or you come home from something and they, they, they hear you walk in and there, you, there's just like, I remember we had a house, um, that has two story house and up in Thornton and I'd come home from work and we just hear this daddy from like the far reaches of the home. And the kids would, you just hear like this Buffalo herd, like all the way down to like, tell me something, to show me something, to whatever, to ask me for something, whatever it was. But there was this, like, they would want to, at that point, hang out with me. <laughs> and, and I loved that. It was really fun. And there was just, like, this freedom there with them to ask me for things and to, to jump into my arms and things like that. Because I think at the root level, they knew that I was their father and I had good intentions towards them. Right? And, and I think ultimately that's what Jesus wants us to experience. Jesus wants to experience the fact that God is your father and God has good intentions towards you. Good intentions. Second thing I want us to know here is that God is as close as the air we breathe. And this is this sometimes hard for us to think about when we think about prayer because um, just the way we think about God. That word, um, in heaven, that phrase, in heaven, footnote to some of your manuscripts, uh, the NIV has this in, as a footnote. It says that some manuscripts have in heaven. Um, Luke is the short version of the uh, Matthew has kind of the more of the director's cut of the Lord's Prayer. Um, and it's a tricky word, um, the word heaven um, here. It's actually the word oronos, which is a Greek word, it's plural. So it's not heaven, it's the heavens, okay? And it's, it's not the place you go where you die. It's not some city in the clouds. What Jesus is actually saying is the air all around us, the sky, the, the heavens. And, and, and so when it says our father in the air, some of this is really, there's been a lot of damage, let me just say that, has been done with this thinking that God is in heaven and we pray to God somewhere else in the future. When God is all around us and God is close, that's why some of you are like, I don't want to be cooped up in a church building. I experience God out in nature. Um, and, and that's fine, but God's also cooped up with you in this building. It's just that we have an experience, we have a, an emotional, um, emotional just kind of reaction to the fact that we're in nature. Um, and, and we think that like God doesn't do city or traffic, but God, but God is everywhere. God is as close as the air we breathe. And so the reality is, is, is I'm the issue. God's not I'm the issue. So the separation from God that we experience in our mind, our mental and, and emotional illusion of separation is usually created by one of two things. Distraction, which as you see, I'm pretty good at, and disordered loves. When we experience distraction and disordered loves in our life, we actually experience mentally and emotionally a separation from the fact that God is right here with us. Augustine said this, God is the reality whose center is everywhere and whose circumference is nowhere. And he's just beautiful. Another author I read this last week said, God does not know how to be absent. It is our problem 
It's usually our busyness, our distraction, our disordered loves that make us feel that way. But God is as close to you as the air up against your skin. Third thing we need to understand as we head into all this. The primary goal of prayer is joyful, grateful, worshipful uh, enjoyment of God's company, of the Father's company. And, and this idea of the word hallowed be your name. And we'll get into this in the weeks to come. This idea of hallowed is this idea of being set apart and being holy. And the word holy isn't just a moral word. Okay? It's much more than that. It is that, but it's much more than that. It's like this idea of a good, beautiful, and true non... There's nothing parallel to God. There's, no, there's nothing in God's vicinity when it comes to who God is. And I've been thinking a lot of that lately, and I've been thinking about this idea that God is full of love and joy and peace. Galatians 5 tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and, and that the byproduct of the Spirit of God in our lives is that our lives will experience love and joy and peace. And so to start to sense, when we pray, we get to, to experience, we get to sense love, not only from God, but for people in your life, for your family, for your friends, and for even those pesky enemies. That God begins to change us when we pray. And we start to sense joy even though our circumstances don't change, even though things in our lives are heavy and there's stress and there's sadness, that we start to experience joy. And we start to experience peace even when our lives don't feel settled, even when things don't feel like they're put together. And when we pray, we tap into this reality of who God is because God is set apart. Tim Keller, in his latest book on prayer, wrote this. It's kind of a long one. To hallow God's name is to have a heart of grateful joy toward God. And even more, a wondrous sense of his beauty. Consider how different this is from the normal way we use prayer. To get things. We may believe in God, but our deepest hopes and happiness reside in things as in things as in how successful we are or in our social relationships. We therefore pray mainly when our career or finances are in trouble or when some relationship or social status is in jeopardy. When life is going smoothly and our truest heart treasures seem safe, it does not occur to us to pray. Seldom or never do we spend sustained time adoring and praising God. We know God is there but we tend to see him as a means through which we get things to make us happy. For most of us, he has not become our happiness. So this idea of hallowed be your name will be a, a time for us to lean into this a bit. Um, your prayers, the fourth thing is this, your prayers really do make a difference. And this is one of those things where I think it's, it's definitely hard for some of us. When we pray your kingdom come, we're praying a prayer that basically means this. Father, the main way your kingdom will come is through me praying. Meaning that God's kingdom doesn't come because of really good teaching. And God's kingdom doesn't come because of hard work. 
And God's kingdom doesn't necessarily come because of cool church programs. God's kingdom comes when God's people pray, may your kingdom come. And your prayers really do change reality. Your prayers change reality and usher heaven into earth. But here's the thing. We don't actually believe this. We, we really functionally, we don't believe this. Someone wrote a book once called Functional Atheists. And we may believe, we may say things that we believe it, but we actually don't believe it because functionally we're not operating as if it, it actually works. We're bent towards this idea of fatalism. This idea that God will do what God's going to do without my prayers. And we use cliches like God is in control and everything happens for a reason. You know, the good ones. But Jesus actually seems to believe that when you and I, if we pray, that some things happen. And Jesus actually also believes that if you don't pray, some of those things don't happen. Does that make sense? It's like this interesting thing. Like you could have a life, your life is on one trajectory, and you pray, and that trajectory changes. Or your life is on a trajectory and you don't pray, you just hit Netflix and your life doesn't change. And this seems to be the pattern in the Gospels. God's response, check this out, Dallas Willard says this, I love this. He says, God's response to our prayers is not a charade. He does not pretend that he is answering our prayer when he's only doing what he's going to do anyway. Our Our requests really do make a difference in what God does or does not do. The idea that everything would happen exactly as it does, regardless of whether we pray or not, is a specter that haunts the minds of many who sincerely profess belief in God. It makes prayer psychologically impossible, replacing it with a dead, dead ritual at best. And of course, God, God does not respond to this. You wouldn't either. I love Dallas Willard, how he puts things. When you pray, We come with a sense of anticipation and expectation. Why? Because you're about to partner with the Spirit of God to bend reality in the direction of God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. And so let these these things kind of, let me recap these things as, as a kind of a starting place for us as we journey this summer. God is your Father. God is close to you as the air you breathe. And the primary goal of prayer is joyful, grateful, worshipful enjoyment of the Father's company. company, And your prayers make a difference. The second half of the prayer is when we get into asking God. Now, the Lord's Prayer, when we get into this, is not a liturgy to recite. And many of us grew up reciting it as liturgy. But it's much more of a template to follow. A template to follow along with in your prayer life. It's this idea about orientation, orienting our lives first before intercession, before asking. We pray things like your kingdom come and your will be done. We're actually praying, God, we want your will to be done, not our will to be done. Things like that. Reorienting our head and our heart. 
And most of us, the problem is, is that we get stuck praying in the opposite direction. We get stuck praying for things towards the end. God, I need this. God, I want this to happen. God, show up and bless this part of my life. And ultimately what we're doing is we're doing things in the wrong order. We end up praying for a, an American middle-class life. So the goal for the summer is to practice together. And the goal for the summer is no matter where you are on your life with God, your prayer life with God, that, that you would take the next step. That you would go to the edge of your comfort zone and try something new. That you would begin to build into a, your life a rhythm and build into your life together a rhythm of prayer. And that we're hoping, we're praying, here's what we're praying, that at the end of the summer, that you would have stories, that you, would, you, could, you could tell us what God has done in your life, that how you've grown and how you've stretched and how you've, how you've messed up and how you've blown it too and, and all those things. And, and our homework really for this week is this. Set aside time this week to pray. For some of you, that may look like a morning thing, an early morning thing before the kids get up. I don't know how early that is. <laughs> no. Some of you are like, no, that's not happening early. Maybe it's a, a, an afternoon walk. Maybe it's before bed and the kids are in bed and you're outside on the deck or the patio or whatever. Maybe it's finding that, because here's the thing about this whole thing. It's about time. It's about making things a priority. And it's kind of cheesy, but it's true. Love is spelled, you've heard this before, love is spelled T-I-M-E. Cheesy, right? But it's kind of true. It takes time. Paul Miller, he's got a great book on prayer. He talks about morning prayer like this. Morning prayer starts with getting to bed the night before. Second step is getting up. The third step is getting awake, right? You know the difference. <laughs> no, actually, the third step is getting coffee. The fourth step should be getting awake, right? The fifth step is to get it to a quiet place. And then he says to get started and don't quit. I love that. Summer of practice. Getting intentional together. Maybe you grab a journal. Maybe you start to write things down. For me, I have to write things down to stay focused, as you can tell. But here's what I'm praying for us. I'm praying for us that it moves from a practice to pleasure. That it moves from something that you feel like you just have to try and, and struggle through and push into and lean into and flex over and over again to something that becomes a new love and a new longing, right? So I grew up in a world where it was about guilt trip to pray. Do you have your quiet time? You know, that wasn't my parents. That was just what I heard in my head. I heard it. I felt like there was a lot of ought to for me. But you know what I realized? I started asking the question, could it be that I have yet to experience prayer like Jesus? Could it be that I have yet to experience that kind of prayer that Jesus experienced? And once I started asking myself that question, then I got excited. So we've done a couple of things 
I don't want you to forget about eating meals, okay? We've put that in front of you. If you've just joined us, we did a whole series on eating. Um, So if you're into eating, you should go back and listen to it. But I don't want that to stop. Like, I want you to continue to make that intentional. Like, that's an intentional collaborative group thing. But we also want to go, what would it look like to push into prayer as a church this summer? Okay? And so, you guys ready for the journey? You guys ready to do this together? It's going to be great. All right, let me pray.